are looking at Exodus chapter 29 tonight, and we will read it shortly. And we are testing out the head, the Britney Spears headset again to see if we can uh, get it to work. Is it should it be further down? Closer. Is it muted? Is your pack muted? I don't think so. Oh, my pack's not muted now. It's on. So we'll uh, hopefully get it to work. Sounds better now. Maybe it was muted at your end. <laughs> okay. So last week. We looked at chapter 28 of Exodus and we thought about the priest's work and who the priests were and what the priests wore. And what the priests wore, the garments, was the, the main subject of chapter 28. And the garments, we thought last week how the garments uh, represent the ideal reality, the glory and the beauty and the holiness that God desires. And it, it, we thought how it was a reality that Aaron and his sons never really truly look, look, uh, lived up to, but a reality that was fulfilled in Christ. So we thought about the high priest as a picture of Christ. Um, and we thought in particular, when it came to the garments of the high priest, about the shoulder pieces and the breastplates on which the names of the tribes of Israel were engraven. And how the high priest, as he entered into the holy place, he brought to remembrance to God his people. And we thought about the truth that we have a great high priest, the Lord Jesus, and he is interceding for us and for his people. Well, the clicker is not working, and it's possibly because something is on the screen that shouldn't be there. Here we go. Um, I like hymns, and there is a particular hymn. It's in the New Believers. It's not in the Old Believers. Um, it's a hymn that is entitled Aaron and the True Melchizedek by Isaac Watts. And it beautifully summarizes chapter 28, and I thought it's worthwhile just reading this hymn together. Um, clicker's not working. Again, here we go. Jesus, in thee our eyes behold a thousand glories more than the rich gems and polished gold the sons of Aaron wore. They first their own burnt offerings brought to purge themselves from sin. Thy life was pure without a spot and all thy nature clean. Fresh blood as constant as the day was on their altar spilt, but thy one offering takes away forever all our guilt. Their priesthood ran through several hands, for mortal was their race, 
thy never-changing office stands, eternal as thy days. Another click, please. Once in the circuit of a year, with blood but not his own, Aaron within the veil appears before the golden throne. But Christ, by his own powerful blood, ascends above the skies and in the presence of our God shows his own sacrifice. Jesus, the King of glory, reigns on Zion's heavenly hill, looks like a lamb has been slain and wears his priesthood still. He ever lives to intercede before his Father's face. Give him my soul by cause to plead, nor doubt the Father's grace. A beautiful hymn that beautifully sums up the Lord Jesus being the fulfillment of Exodus chapter 28. Tonight we are looking at chapter 29 which is about the consecration of the priests, the consecration of the priests. And we are going to read through it, not every verse, but we're going to stop at various points with some um, explanatory notes or comments, and then we will think about some applications uh, from this chapter later on. Let's read the first three verses, please, from Exodus chapter 29. Now this is what you shall do to them, to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket, and bring the bull and the two rams. And we'll stop there for now. We're going to think just briefly about the purpose and the preparation of the consecration of the priests. If you read this whole chapter in, in one go and you highlight the key words, the key words in this chapter are consecration, anointing, and ordination and those words appear 15 16 times and so the, the the theme here is the consecration the ordination of the um, Aaronic priesthood and this is something which we read of in Leviticus chapter 8 so in Exodus 29 it, it's commanded it's prescribed and in Leviticus chapter 8, it happens and it's described for us there. And it's a, something that happened once. It's not something that was repeated. Um, it happened once. And we see here the, the purpose of it. The purpose was that Aaron and his sons were to be consecrated to serve as priests, to serve as priests. And as we'll think of later on, what that meant was 
that they had access into the presence of God. They only had access into the presence of God and they were able to make sacrifices to God and they alone were able to do that. So it's about access and it's about sacrifice and we see what they were to prepare in this inauguration, the ordination, the consecration of the priesthood. They were to bring three animals, a bull and two rams, all without blemish. And then they were to bring bread and cakes and wafers, all unleavened. And they were to bring this to the entrance of the tent of meetings. And that was the purpose and the preparation for the consecration of the priesthood. Let's read on. Verse 4. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the, put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Verse 9 here indicates to us that it was once that Aaron was dressed that the priesthood was his. But before they were dressed, they had to be washed. And so we have three things here in, in these um, verses. We have the washing, and we have the robing, and we have the anointing. The washing comes before the robing. That, I guess that's... Um, Practical, and, and we would wash before we put on our clothes, and uh, and that's what happened here. They were to wash, and this was to be done at the laver. And we haven't talked about the laver as part of the furniture of the tabernacle just yet, but you see it on on the over there on the slide. You see that in between <clears throat> the brazen altar. And the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, is the brazen laver or the, ba uh, the brazen basin, which we read of as we come to chapter 30 and verses 17 to 21. The basin is there described. But it was at the, uh, the laver or the, the basin that Aaron and his sons were to be washed. Now it's interesting when we come to chapter 30 and verses 17 to 21, 
which describes the laver, it says in verse 19, with which Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet. And that was an ongoing washing, an ongoing washing of their hands and their feet. But here in chapter 29, significantly, as we will think about later on, perhaps, time permitting, it wasn't washing their hands and their feet. It was a full body wash. And it was done once, and that was it. So here in, in chapter 29, uh, they were to be washed. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent and meeting and wash them with water. And so they were to be washed and then they were, be, were to be robed or dressed in the garments that are described in chapter 28. And we have that in verses 5, 6, 8 and 9. And we see that it is after they have been dressed in verse 9 that the priesthood was theirs. Now, Aaron was to wear those clothes and when we come to verse 29 it says that the holy raiment of Aaron shall be his shall be for his sons after him. They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. And so, Aaron, this, the high priestly garments were Aaron's. And he wore them, and he wore them until he died. And we read of that in Numbers chapter 20. And we read that he ascended the mount, and he died there on the mount, and the Eleazar his son went with him. And Aaron went up to the mount wearing the high priestly garments. Eleazar came down from the mountain wearing the high priestly garments. And that was the only legacy, the only thing that Aaron could bequeath to his sons. The, the priests had no property, they had no inheritance in the land. You remember that the Levites did not have an inheritance in the land. They had no ground, they had no property, no real estate to bequeath to their sons, except for the high priestly garments. And so he was washed, he was robed, and he was anointed. Verse 7, you shall take the anointing oil pour it on his head and anoint him. When we come to chapter 30 again, we read about the anointing oil. It's prescribed a recipe for it, not allowed to be copied and used for anything else but for the anointing oil. And Aaron was to be um, <clears throat> anointed with that oil. And there was a fourth thing that they they, that happened. They were, there was washing, there was robing, there was anointing, and then there was offering or sacrificing. And that's what we read about in the next section, which really is the main section 
um, in this chapter. Let's read from verse 10. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. I shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and the rest of the blood you shall pour out on the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its tongue you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Then you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram and shall take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces and wash its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces and its head and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Verse 19, you shall take the other ram, and Aaron, his son, shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and take part of its blood, and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and on the tips of the right ears of his sons, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on their great toes of their right feet and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy and his sons' and his gar sons garments with him. You shall take the fat from the ram and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that's on them, and the right thigh, for it is a ram of ordination. And one loaf of bread, and one cake of bread made with oil, and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. You shall put all these on the palms of Aaron, and on the palms of his sons, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And we'll stop there for now, so fourthly and finally, there was the offering that were to be made. And there were three offerings, three sacrifices to be made. There was a bull, which was a sin offering. And then there was the first ram for a burnt offering, holy to the Lord. And then the second ram of ordination. Uh, an ordination offering or a wave offering which was also a food offering to be eaten by the priests and we don't have time to go into all the details of this but we do um, notice a couple of things that um, it's, it's true for all of these three <clears throat> first of all the animals were to be without blemish. And that is always what is prescribed in the Old Testament. It's not for the sacrifice. They were to be unblemished, without fault, without defect. And, and, and the, the cakes and the bread were to be with un, made with unleavened bread. 
we see that Aaron and his sons were to place their hands on the heads of the animals before they were killed. Uh, an act of identification and an act of imputation, we could say, of, of transferring their guilt onto uh, the animals. And we see that another um, common um, thing with the, with the sacrifice was this, that there was something to do with the blood. We see the importance of the blood here. And in the case of the third sacrifice, we note that the blood was to be smeared on the right ear and the right thumb and on the big toe on their right foot. And so we see the necessity of blood sacrifice. And we see the necessity of it being applied to the person and the entire person. And we can continue then on um, and think a little bit about the, what happened here. So we've, we've thought about the preparation. We've thought about the, the, the washing and the dressing and the anointing of, of the priests and the sacrifices that were to be made. In um, verses 35 to 37, we, we note that this uh, ordination took place over a seven-day period. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons, according to all that I have commanded you. Through seven days shall you ordain them. And every day you shall offer a bull offering, so a bull as a sin offering for atonement. And you shall also purify the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. And so this ordination took place over a, a seven-day period. And then we come to verses 38 to, 30, 40, to 42, and this now moves on to, to what they were to do on a daily basis. So we thought about the ordination, a seven-day period, and something that happened to Aaron once, to the high priest once. But then, in verses 38 to 42, this is what they were to do Daily. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs, a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with four, a fourth of hin of beaten oil, and a fourth of hin of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering and in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet you, meet with you to speak 
to you there. And so we see that the altar, the fire on the altar, never went out. On this brazen altar, the first thing that you came to as you entered into the court of the tabernacle, the fire on the altar was always burning. And a lamb in the morning, a lamb at twilight. And this was the ongoing daily routine of the priest. And then the chapter ends with a promise by God that he will meet with his people and will dwell among them. Verse 45, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And so this is a, a brief overview of what happened on the day, or on that time, when the, the Aaron was ordained, and what was his daily duty, the daily duty of the priest. Now when we look at chapter 28, we applied it to Christ. Uh, the high priest and the high priestly garments. And it would be a very valid um, application to make also when we, when we come to this chapter. But I want to apply this chapter to us today. Um, because there's a, there's a very important truth that we have in Scripture. And in the New Testament, it's the truth that we call the priesthood of all believers. And it is a truth that um, was rediscovered in the Reformation, during the Reformation. And, um, and I would argue again and to a further extent in what we now call the, the Brethren Movement, at the start of the Brethren Movement, this removal of the distinction between um, clergy and laity. The distinction between clergy and laity. Now, when we think about priests today, we think about, or our minds are conditioned by terminology, terminology and practice that we see uh, around us. And not all of it is helpful. And it's a practice that perhaps is based on the Old Testament and what we've read together, but which is not taking the truths of the New Testament into account. So I want to make an argument uh, uh, tonight and uh, some of us uh, were doing a, a, a preaching workshop together um, recently and we, we will learn that every preacher should make an argument in, not have an argument but make an argument in a sermon so here is my argument uh, tonight and that is that all of us who are believers here tonight we are priests. And there are lots of texts in Scripture that we can take uh, we could take it to, but just a couple. 
And, and there's a few PowerPoint slides with quite a lot of references here, and I thought it would be helpful just to put it on, on the screen. Um, but Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 is an important verse. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We have been freed and we have been washed and we are loved and God has made us a kingdom of priests to God. And that's what John is saying or, or records for us. Another well-known uh, scripture, First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. And so we thought about what it means to be a priest. For the, in the Old Testament, it meant access into the presence of God, and it meant the ability to offer sacrifices to God. And that is, by implication, what it means for us today to be priests. That we have access into the presence of God. This is what Hebrews tells us. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So as priests, we can draw near to God. We have access into his presence. So let us draw near. And also in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. So we are priests. We can serve as priests. We can come into the presence of God and we can offer sacrifices to God. We'll think about that more later. But before we can serve as priests. We have to be made priests. And I was thinking about these four things that um, was true of the high priest of Aaron when he was ordained. There were four things. Remember, there was the washing, there was the robing, there was the anointing, and there was the offering. And, and those are beautiful pictures for us today. Because it says in verse 4 of chapter 29, You shall bring Aaron and the sons to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. And we thought about that this was a one-off full-body wash. And different from the day-to-day -day washing of their hands and feet at the labor. Now this is what scripture says to us in the New Testament. Husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with 
the word. Having cleansed her. As the people of God, we have been cleansed by the washing of water with the word. In Titus 3, he speaks about our salvation. He says he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal. There's another key reference, um, which I haven't got on screen there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says this, Do not be conceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed and sanctified. You were washed and sanctified. And such were some of you, but you were washed. And it's a great truth for us tonight just to remember that as believers we have been washed by the water of the word by the washing of regeneration and renewal and as God sees us he sees us as clean that's wonderful it's very interesting when we read John chapter 13, you know the washing of the disciples' feet. And um, the Lord says there, in, when Peter pipes up and says, you shall never wash my feet. And uh, Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And then Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed, does not need to wash except for his feet. Now, don't want to be too technical at this point, but it's in, 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 the, in the Hebrew, in chapter 29 of Exodus, when it speaks about the washing of the high priest, and in chapter 30 about the washing of the hands and the feet. It's the same word in Hebrew. But in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, there is a different word used in chapter 29, which is a, a full body bath. And then a separate word, a different word used in chapter 30, speaking about the daily washing of the hands. It's a rinsing as opposed to a bath. Now, when the Lord Jesus comes in chapter 13 of John, and he speaks about the washing of their feet, he says, the one who has bathed or bathed, and it's the word used in Exodus chapter 29, that full body once uh, bath. He does not need to be washed except for his feet. And the word he used for washing the feet is the word used in Exodus chapter 30 about the rinsing. 
And so there is a great truth there, and that is that we have been cleansed once and for all, and we are clean in the presence of God. We've been at the, at the labor. We've been ordained as priests. But there is that daily washing, rinsing of our feet and of our hands needed, just as it was for the um, priests, not to be accepted, not to be reordained as priests, but just for that daily communion, that daily service for the Lord. So we have the washing and we have the robing, and I, and I love this. You know, um, then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod, and the ephod, and the breastpiece, and so on. And Aaron was robed with that, those garments of beauty, and garments of glory, and garments of holiness. And there's a beautiful illustration of this in Zechariah chapter 3. You don't need to turn to it. But in Zechariah chapter 3, it's, it's wonderful, and read it when you have time. He speaks about a high priest called Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him, to accuse this high priest. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? And then it says in verse 3 of Zechariah chapter 3, Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Joshua was standing before the angel. This is the high priest clothed in filthy garments. What did the angel say to those who were standing before him? Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed them with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. It's a beautiful, beautiful illustration of what happens to us when we come to Christ. You know, there's Satan, the accuser, and standing there accusing us. Look at him. Look at her. Do you not realize, God, what they have done? How bad they are? What does God say? Remove the filthy garments from him and put on the pure garments of the priesthood. And that's what happens to us, dear brother and sister, when we come to Christ. The filthy garments are removed. We are given new garments and it's not our righteousness that we're clothed with it's the righteousness of Christ for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ we are in Christ and we have his righteousness 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. So, our sin was imputed to Christ. Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us. And so we are dressed in the beauty of Christ. And so many of our hymns bring this out, and we'll sing one at the end. When I stand before the throne, dressed in beauty, not my own, when I see thee as thou art, love thee with unsinning heart, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. Robert Murray McShane. Or Count Sinsendorf wrote this. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. Midst flaming world in these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. And then a verse that doesn't appear in many of our hymns, Understandably, the hymn has 24 verses and some of them had the axed. One of them says this, This spotless robe, the same appears. When ruined nature sinks in years, no age can change its constant hue. Thy blood preserves it ever new. And so we are robed in the righteousness of Christ. Time is going, but we are anointed. And I think this speaks in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. It speaks about the Holy Spirit that we have been anointed with. And of course, there is the sacrifice, that once and for all sacrifice that was made on that day of ordination. And I don't need to speak about it much because Jordan spoke about the brazen altar and the sacrifice and the meaning of it. Let me just read one verse. For by a single offering he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. And so it's a wonderful truth that Christ has died as our sacrifice, that unblemished <coughs> sin offering is Christ and we have as it were placed our hands on its on the head and our sins have been transferred and we can now sing my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought not my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord O my soul. And so there is that once and for all sacrifice. And so we have been washed. We have been robed. We have been anointed. And our sins have been atoned for because of that once and for all sacrifice. And that's the position that we have before God today. And that's what qualifies us to be priests, to enter into the presence of God and to offer sacrifices to God. And we saw that there was this thing that was once at the ordination, but then there was that ongoing sacrifices that they were to make. And that speaks about, I think, the ongoing sacrifices that we can make, not to make us right with God, not to make God like us, to forgive us, because... There is that once and for all sacrifice. 
But Hebrews chapter 13, we referred to it earlier, it speaks about our priesthood and what we can do now. And he says in verse 15 and 16, Through him, through Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So, we can pray, we can offer thanksgiving, we can worship God in song. And that is a priestly task. And we have that great privilege to do that. But not only that, we are not to neglect to do good and to share what we have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So may God help us offer sacrifices to him, not out of obligation, but because we have this great privilege. I'll finish with an illustration by Spurgeon. He tells us, he, t he told this lovely story to illustrate the point that we offer sacrifices to God not to gain something but because we love to honour him. A humble gardener presented a bunch of humble carrots to his king because he so esteemed and loved his sovereign. And the king rewarded his, this love with a plot of land so that the gardener could continue to bless his kingdom. And the king's courtier, he saw this and he thought, what a bargain. An acre of land for a bunch of carrots. What a deal. And so the next day, the courtier, he went to the king and presented him with a magnificent horse. And the wise king, discerning his heart, simply accepted the gift with a thank you. And when he saw the courtier's disappointment, the king explained, the gardener gave me the carrots, but you have given yourself the horse. You gave not for love of me, but love of yourself in the hope of reward. And so Spurgeon asked, are you feeding the hungry or are you feeding yourself? Are you clothing the naked or are you seeking your own reward? Are you serving God or are you serving yourself? Spurgeon asked. And we can ask that question to ourselves as we think about the wonderful privilege that we have as priests to offer sacrifices to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful position and the wonderful blessing that you have given us to be priests, to serve and to have access into your holy presence. And we thank you for the truth of the priesthood of all believers. And we thank you for what you have done to bring us to this position. You washed us. You've robed us. You've 
anointed us. And you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, to die as a sacrifice for our sins. Father, we thank you for this wonderful privilege. And help us, Father, to be, <clears throat> to be priests with a reverence and with the desire to serve you, we pray. We ask this in the Lord's name. Amen. Amen. Now, we're going to sing a hymn, but before I do that, I, 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 I saw this poem, poem and, and I would, I'd love to share it with you. It's called The Legacy, and it's based on Exodus chapter 29, verse 29. The holy raiments, the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him. Let me just read this poem. What shall he leave his sons, silver nor gold? Nor heritage has he, nor herd nor fold. Not these can he bequeath, but this he can, the holy raiment of a saintly man. The fair example of a life well spent, of daily tendance in the sacred tent, of ever praiseful heart and reverent mind, what nobler gift could father leave behind? That son who, drawing near the throne of grace, can say, how well my father knew this place. How oft I've heard his voice in fervent prayer. Happy that son, that richly dowered heir. Beautiful poem, very challenging. <laughs>